if you like. It sounds a bit painful, doesn't it? Um, if I'm honest, it has been pa- it has been a bit like that over the last few months as we're uh, as we're moving into uh, a new season of leadership in our lives. We've been we've been really feeling the reality of an enemy who is completely against the progress of Jubilee and will do anything, anything to wear us out, to cause division, to stop this from happening. And also the reality of a good and gracious God who continues to shape and refine us through trials and seeming setbacks. That's the tension we live as Christians. But you know what? When all this is happening, you know what? I'm not surprised at all. Are you? Jubilee, that is the adventure of faith that we're all part of, actually. As, um, uh, uh, as the Apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians 6 writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the answer. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against just flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Summary, the struggles in our Christian life, our walk with him, are complex and actually involve things far beyond us. Therefore, what are we to do? We are to put on all the protection and defenses that God has given us in Jesus. Through it all, through it all, Jubilee, we press on knowing that he is good and he is God. In fact, that is faith in a nutshell. We've had a lot of contributions about faith uh, this morning. Uh, One Bible teacher writes, The life of faith is not lived out on beds all cozy and comfy, but on battlefields. And as I said in my last vision talk, uh, as we were coming to the end of 2013, that is increasingly where God is taking us, Jubilee. And you know what? He's calling us. He's calling us a family to get prepared. So really, that's what this passage that we're about to read about is about. Faith, more specifically, Jesus' lessons on faith. Um, so let's read. It's, a, it's quite a big, uh, quite a big chunk of scripture, actually. So let's read it. Uh, Mark 5, uh, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had crossed over, uh, when, when Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was uh, by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had some sort of gynecological bleeding problem. She had suffered a a, a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, 
who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched your clothes? But Jesus kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, then Jesus said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, the guy who was mentioned at the beginning. Your daughter is now dead, they said. Why bother the teacher, Jesus, anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, Jairus, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came home to the, syn- to the synagogue leader, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead. He's just asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, Um, He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in uh, where the child was. He took her hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for your encounters with men and women. I thank thank you, Jesus, that you spoke to everyone. You spoke to the high, the low, the outcasts, the insiders, the outsiders. Lord, you changed people's lives. And we pray by your Holy Spirit this morning, as you give us deep, deep lessons on faith. I pray we encounter you this morning by your Spirit and by your Spirit be raised by the truth of your Word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll change us, that you'll mould us, that you'll transform us. I pray, Lord God, that you will teach us what faith is in your kingdom and how important it is. So be with us this morning. Be with, be with me as I speak, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit, touch us. Amen. So here we have an account of Jesus healing two people. Miraculous, really. Phenomenal. Um, this was one of the main ways, actually, that Jesus demonstrated the power and the reality and the kind of rule and reign that he, Jesus, was bringing in. In our culture today, we find miracles and healing a little bit difficult to believe. Embarrassing, maybe. But when you study the validity and the accuracy of these accounts, most historians, this is fact, most historians find it hard to challenge these unique events written in the Gospels. A guy called Professor Graham Twelfthree, an Oxford graduate, he says this, however reluctantly, however reluctantly, because we don't want to believe it. However reluctantly, the vast majority of students of the historical Jesus confirm that Jesus performed mighty works. The single most time-consuming aspect of Jesus' public mission was for the performing of miracles 
any critical reconstruction of the historical Jesus must not only include, but also indeed emphasize, underline that he was a most powerful and prolific miracle worker. Jesus healed lots of people. He was unique in doing so. Fact. But not only that, he was the ultimate teacher. Jesus was always finding miraculous situations where he could not only demonstrate the compassionate, restoring, healing heart of God, but also at the same time bring truth visually to life for his disciples, for the crowds, and for the religious onlookers so that they could glimpse more and more of what he was about, what ultimate reality was all about. And so this encounter that we've read this morning is no different. So what can we learn from Jesus about faith? Five things very quickly. Firstly, faith connects us to God. Faith is important. Faith connects us to God. So what's happening here? Well, verse 24 tells us a large large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. You can imagine it, can't you? The crowds are pushing up against Jesus, hugging him, kissing him, grabbing him. Everyone who's anyone wants to be with him. And in the midst of this throng, this, 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 this close-knit gathering, quite comically really, when, when a woman with some kind of disabling, bleeding medical condition touches him, he says, who touched me? What? Who's touching you? What are you on, Jesus? Everyone's touching you. That's what the disciples are saying. What are you talking about? Odd thing to say, really, don't you think? But do you know what? Jesus never wastes a word. He never wastes an opportunity. What Jesus is saying here is actually quite scary when you really think about it. He's saying, yeah. He's saying, yeah, I know loads of people are hugging me, kissing me, throwing themselves down at my feet, up close, in my face. But let me tell you this. Only one of them, only one of them, this woman has connected with me. Only one woman has had the faith to bridge the gap, cross over, join me, touch me, for real. Even in the midst of all these people. What do you think of that? You see, Jubilee, we can be around Jesus all our lives, crowding him, talking about him, admiring him, studying him, getting inspired by him. These are good things. We can go to church, we can do Bible studies, hang out in community group, volunteer, go through all the emotions. Be what we think is very up close to Jesus, yet we might not be touching him at all. Ugh. And what Jesus is really getting at here is the importance of faith. He's saying, if you want to touch me, connect me, draw closer to me, it's primarily through faith. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to to please God. The more and more I think about it, in fact, the older and older I get, the more grey whiskers I get in my beard. That's what I think spiritual maturity is all about, actually. Growing in faith. It's not, it's not, it's not primarily doing more stuff uh, for Jesus. It's not becoming more familiar with Scripture. It's not learning more and more. These are good things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But primarily maturity, growing in God, is learning to trust and cherish Him more and more 
above other things, above ourselves. It's coming to a realization more and more of my inadequacy compared to his great sufficiency. It's letting God do what he wants rather than fitting him in to my agenda for change. Faith, maturity. Jubilee, as we move forward, as we grow in God's greater purposes, can I encourage you to keep the main thing, the main thing, him, Jesus, more and more. And out of that focus, out of that loving, intimate, flourishing relationship with him, who you give your all to, out of that relationship, all the other stuff will follow. It will. So that's Jesus' first lesson. Faith is important. It's what connects us to God. Second, second lesson, faith blossoms out of a desperate heart. What do I mean by that? Well, look at the guys in this passage. One is Jairus. Who is he? Well, he's, he's the very kind of top-of-the-pops, important, well-educated synagogue leader, a man of great authority and standing. What does he do? He falls to his feet. He falls to Jesus' feet. Verse 22 says he pleaded earnestly with Jesus. Get the enormity of this. Everyone around would have stopped in their tracks as they saw this. Jaws would have dropped. Jairus, religious, social, financial top bod, is begging Jesus to help him. Well, wouldn't you know? Wow. Jairus must be desperate. And so who else is there in the story? Well, there's the, there's, there's, the, the, there's the other woman. She's desperate too. She suffered. Boy, has she suffered. Not only from her medical condition for the last 12 years, but also, it says in verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting uh, better, she grew worse. She'd gone to loads of doctors for cures, but rather than making her better, they made her worse. And by now, she, and also by now, she had spent everything she had. She was poor. She may well have been destitute. Also, culturally, the Jewish people of the time, because of her condition, would have considered her unclean before God and people. She was an outcast, desperate, destitute, alone, and without hope, until Jesus comes along. What I think is really eye-opening here is these two people couldn't be more different, could they? They couldn't be more different, yet both of them connect, touch, come to Jesus in desperation through faith. That's what Jesus says to them both, doesn't he? He says to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, have faith. Jubilee, it doesn't matter who you are. This stuff happens to us all. We might think we're in control. Some of us might think we're invincible sometimes or immune, but we're not. We chase around all over the place to fill that heart gap, that insecure, that insecure empty, needy, bleeding center of our soul. We do, don't we? With all sorts of doctors. We go, we go to our many doctors. We look for all of our many cures. Yeah, they might give us passing pleasure, passing significance, passing security, passing love, uh, passing confidence maybe, but they will never fill that deep, eternal longing that only Jesus can never. And until we realize that, until we have faith, we cannot fully connect to the source of all life, 
him who gives us life to the full, Jesus. So lesson one, faith connects us to God. It's very important. Lesson number two, faith blossoms in a realization of our deep, deep desperation for God, no matter who we are. Thirdly, faith is rooted in reality. Uh, a lot of people would disagree with this. Um, many people today think, think, about, think faith comes because of a lack of thinking. Uh, things through a refusal to think, maybe. An absence of reality. It's why people say faith is blind. But the Bible tells an altogether different story, doesn't it? Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.7. You'll have heard me speak about this before, especially at Alpha. We live by faith, says the Apostle Paul. We live by faith and not by sight. What's he saying? Well, he certainly isn't saying that we live by faith and not by reason or thinking things through. He's not saying that to have a life of faith, you've got to take your brains out and put it on the mantelpiece. No way. The Apostle Paul here is contrasting faith with something very different to reasoning, actually. He contrasts it with what he calls sight, fear, actually. This really came uh, home to me, as I've said before, when I visited the dentist a few years ago. I'd last been to the dentist when I was eight years old, and then they took a whole lot of my teeth out, so I never went back again. Why would you? Common sense, really. However, years later, Charlotte, my wife, her mom, her dad were all saying, I think you should go to the dentist, Raj, get things checked out. Even the kids were getting me to particularly, even the kids were particularly asking me to go after they watched an episode of Peppa Pig at the dentist. So I decided to give it a go again. And so after my initial assessment, I had a few x-rays too and whatnot, they decided that I was going to have something called a, a root, I'm going to need a root canal procedure. Ding dong. This was where they, I think it is, this is where they bore a hole in your tooth and gouge out all the gunk and dead bits of decay and Toblerone and Haribo and Jelly Babies and all those lovely things. They gouge it out with the general anaesthetic. Yuck. Anyway, I questioned the dentist about it. He said, I wouldn't feel a thing. Uh, he said it was a straightforward procedure. We do it all the time. Not a problem. And so because I totally believed this guy, I decided to Google it back home. <laughs> so I found out what it entailed. In fact, that week I was also out with a bunch of dads and one of them was a dentist. So I asked him about it too. Everything was fine. I wasn't worried about it. I reasoned it out. I thought it through. <clears throat> then came the day of the operation. I walked into the room. Suddenly, the chemical smells hit me. I was greeted by two people with headscarves and gloves and torches and masks and whatnot. At the side of the chair, I noticed some bright, shiny tools with sharp bits on them. There were straps on the side of the chair. I wondered, what are they for? I was starting to bottle it. What was happening? I'll tell you what was happening. I was losing my faith. What did that look like? Fear. How come? How come? I'd done all my research. I'd asked all my questions. Why was I now, Jubilee, losing faith? 
I'll tell you why. Because of my sight. Because of what I could see before my eyes. Before I was walking by faith, but now I'm losing my faith. Why? Because of fear. How was that happening? Because I was just relying on what I could see. Not reason. So what did I learn? Two things, actually. One, stop eating jelly babies. But more importantly, faith is rooted in thinking, reasoning, and truth. What truth? The everlasting, never-changing truth of God written in his word. Faith, actually, is not blind at all. When this woman comes to Jesus, why does she come? Verse 27 tells us, actually, she heard about Jesus. She checked him out. She reasoned it through, and Jesus responds to her, coming to him with, daughter, your faith, it's your faith that's healed you. When Jesus, when Jairus starts bottling it, after, after he hears his daughter is dead, what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is probably the most influential person that has ever set foot on planet Earth. And if you're a rational person here this morning, you would want to know him more and more for real. Wouldn't you? If you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, as Paul said, come to our Alpha course. Get to know this Jesus. Question him. Find out about him. Uh, You'll love it. I certainly did. It changed my life, actually. We put transport on for you. We translate everything for you. It's totally free. Please, if you've not been to one and are interested in the big questions of life, whatever faith background you're from, whatever you think of God, please come along. For the rest of you, as Paul also said, don't pass these opportunities up. Prayerfully ask your friends and family. Drop in a flyer. Bring them along to Alpha. Increasingly, uh, our faith will move us further and further afield to places like Brambles Farm and other places. Don't let that put you off, but rather get behind it. Make it work. Show that our God is a God who is on the move. Keep that light that has been switched on in Brambles Farm. uh, Keep it staying on, shining brighter and brighter. You are part of that call. So see who you so pray about it. See who you can bring along. I'm actually really excited about the Brambles Farm community group too. Uh, that is starting this week. Numbers, numbers wise, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's a bit out of the way. But God said do it. So we are. It's simple really. If you're not regularly going to a group or if you feel God is stirring you to a group with a more missional edge to befriend and serve amongst that community, then speak to Sue and John Kearney. Uh, They're over there. Uh, They'll be heading this uh, new thing up. Pray for them. Get stuck in Jubilee. So lesson one, faith connects us to God. Lesson two, faith blossoms in desperation. Lesson three, faith is rooted in truth, in the truth of God. So systematically, proactively, increasingly get to know this Jesus. What else? Fourth lesson. It's not the dimension, hear this, it's not the dimension how big your faith is, but the direction of your faith that counts. What do I mean? Well, look at this woman. She's had, she has... She had terrible faith, actually, if you really look at it. She was superstitious, treating Jesus like some lucky charm. Uh, Oh, if I just touch him, I'll be okay. 
She was scared. She was weak. Her faith was incredibly flawed. That's why Jesus makes such a big deal of it. That's why he makes her go public, not to frighten her, but to, not to humiliate her, but to build her up, to show her who he really was. Her faith is actually a wreck, but Jesus, through her miraculous healing, says, my dear, dear daughter, affectionate, it's not the strength of your faith that has saved you, but the object of your faith, me. You know what? That is totally against what people think about faith today, if they talk about faith at all. People say things like, it doesn't actually matter what you believe, as long as you believe it with all your might and all your effort. Let me tell you, that is not a biblical picture of faith. Jesus said to his disciples, alarmingly, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us, for it is by grace, the undeserved favor of God, that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by might, not by effort, so that no one can boast in themselves. We're saved, and God moves through us, not because of our faith, but through our faith in him. That's a, there's a difference. It's, it's not our might, it's his that this is all about. A guy called J.I. Packer, a theologian, says, faith is the reliant outgoing of the soul in trust and confidence towards the living God and his living son. Jubilee, what are you going through? What has God called you to? What are the promises over you? Don't get discouraged. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't let the inadequacy of your faith hinder your obedience. Instead, 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 look to the author and perfecter of your faith, King Jesus, who is altogether sufficient, altogether supreme. Do you see that? It's not the dimension of your faith, it's the direction of your faith that counts. Finally, lesson five. Faith operates through God's timing, not ours. Very important. <coughs> if our Christian walk is going to be one where we understand and trust and grow in Jesus more and more, we need to totally get this. If we don't get this jubilee, we will be forever disappointed in Jesus. You see, this passage shocks us to the core, doesn't it? That's why the two healings are here in parallel with one another together. The writer wants us to get the drama of what's happening. You see, there's Jairus, top of the pops, religious bod. He comes to Jesus with a medical emergency. She's going to die, Jesus, if you don't hurry. Come on, we don't have time. They're rushing him into a blue light ambulance. You can imagine the hurry and the commotion, can't you? So what, did, so what does Jesus do? He stops. Why? To help the poor, to help a poor, unclean, marginalized, despised, rejected woman with a problem that has been going on for years. He leaves a medical emergency to go and deal with a non-urgent problem. Sounds crazy. 
If I'm a GP and I know if that was me, and, I, and I, if I did what Jesus did, I'd be up before the General Medical Council asking some, uh, answering some very serious questions. But Jesus' timing is altogether different. Why? What's the great teacher trying to impress on Jairus? The crowds on us. Well, firstly, he's trying to impress on us that he's a God of grace. Over and over again, Jesus reverses the social and religious political norms. Over and over again, Jesus connects with the outsider rather than the insider. The uh, the racial outcast, the sexual outcast, the political outcast, the blind, the lame, the poverty-stricken, the sinners. He's a God of grace through and through. That's what he's modeling here. That's what he's modeling to us, Jubilee. His kingdom values are very, very different to ours. This is the only time Jesus actually calls anyone a daughter. So affectionate. She's probably older than him. Why does he do that? Because he realizes that she probably doesn't have a Jairus to do what Jairus did for his daughter. She probably doesn't have a dad who says, sweetheart, wait here. I'm going to go and get Jesus. I'm going to get him. I'm going to beg him to heal you because I love you. I adore you. I cherish you. Such grace. Such compassion as we've sang about, talked about this morning. Such love. But he's also trying to impress on on us something else. He's impressing on us his wisdom. It totally baffles our wisdom, our pragmatism. Jesus knew he could could raise uh, uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus also knew that uh, this woman's greatest need wasn't actually her healing from the bleeding problem, but her healing, uh, but the healing of her broken relationship with him. It was a medical emergency, actually. She didn't see it that way. The crowds didn't see it that way. Jairus certainly didn't see it that that way. But Jesus knows. Jesus sees more than we do. Jubilee, however it seems to us at the time, we can trust him, even in the face of death. I know there are a lot of stories here this morning of torture, of persecution, of illness, of bereavement, of abuse, of financial uh, desperation, of unemployment, of childlessness, of separation, of death of depression, of disappointment, of worthlessness. Why on earth would God use me for anything? I, can, I can't serve God. Look at his, I can't serve God. But look at his grace and his wisdom. Look, they go, beyond, they go beyond yours and mine. All he asks, as, all he asks of us is the same thing he asked Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Trust me. Trust me. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking, because I know I I think it to myself a lot. How can I trust him? How can I know I can believe him for my situation? Is he for real? Is he reliable? How do you get there? You see, faith and doubt always live together. They go hand in hand. That is just how it is. However, the key is not whether faith and doubt are happening at the time, at the same time. They happen all the time. It's what you do with the doubt that is important. And really, we get back to what we said earlier. What, you, what do you do when doubt sets in? You root yourself in the truth of this living God who gave his everything for you. 
the truth of the cross, because it's the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection, that answers all of our doubts. You see, when Jesus heals this woman and senses that power had gone out from him, this was actually a foreshadow of the cross. For her to get strong, he had to get weak. For her to get clean, he had to become unclean. For her to be called daughter, he had to lose his father in heaven. That's what the topsy-turvy, upside-down kingdom, as our Bible reading uh, with the kids yesterday was all about. That's what it's like. For her to experience freedom, he had to be imprisoned. For her deep scars to be healed, he had to receive them. 2 Corinthians says this magnificently. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was the only way. It's what Martin calls, Martin Luther, not Martin, Martin Luther calls the great exchange. He had to be cut off, thrown out, forsaken, and killed. He went through everything. He went through all of that so that you wouldn't have to. He got what you deserved. And so, for, and so for us to connect with this one, the one who did all this for us, we need to stretch out our desperate, sinking hands with all our sin, with all our filth, with all our defilement, with all our disobedience, with all our uncleanness, with all our idolatry, and reach out for this one, knowing, knowing with certainty that we won't make him unclean, but rather he, his touch, his grip will make us clean and restore us fully. That's faith. That's faith. Faith in Jesus. Forsaking all, I take him. Forsaking all, I take him. That's what faith is. At the end of this passage, to end, at the end of this passage, when Jesus says to the dead girl, Talithakum, these are Aramaic words of beautiful tenderness and supreme power. These are not the words of a stranger talking to a child, as some of the translations when we read them can suggest. No, no. He is saying to her what her parents would have said in deep delight and affection every morning as they drew back the curtains and sat on a bed. Talithachum. Wake up, honey. Up you get, my chickens. Bidashor jonam. Absolute kindness, absolute compassion, absolute power, absolute strength. That's what he's saying to us this morning, Jubilee. That's what he's saying to you this morning, Jubilee. Do we hear him? Tenderly, powerfully, wonderfully, talithakum, wake up, my child. Whatever's going on, whatever doesn't make sense, however overwhelming the call of God on your life may seem, however impossible or confusing or fuzzy things look, trust me, I'm in control. I have already defeated everything, as we've already heard, everything that can defeat you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jubilee, as we move on into 2014, 
Will you listen to Jesus? Will you wake up to him? Come closer. Follow this one who did everything for you. Will you? Because that's what he asks of all of us. Nobody's, nobody, nobody's accepted here. Nobody, there's no exceptions to that. He asks that of all of us. And do you know what? Do you know what? You would be crazy not to. Wouldn't you? Let's pray. If the band can come up, that would be great. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we, uh, as we start this new year, Lord God, we want faith in you. Faith in you to be our battle cry. Lord God, we want to trust you more and more. Increasingly, as the call of God on this church, on us individually, seems totally out of our hands, often seems totally beyond comprehension. Lord, we don't have all the answers, but we come to you, trusting you, knowing you, knowing that you do have the answers, you do have the power, that you are good and you are God. And so we, we come to you, Lord God, we come to you, Lord God, and we ask you to empower us by your Spirit so that we so that we can say confidently, we're not afraid. We're not afraid. We believe you. Come, Spirit of God, and rest on us as we worship. Let's respond jubilee uh, as we start a new year. Let's respond in heartfelt worship. Let's respond and say, as, as we're worshiping, we're going to give our heart and soul and